Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. What a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. That's very precious and so wonderful to have the privilege of sharing with you uh, this morning for those online as well. Um, And my topic that I was given was godly parenting. And I get the parenting bit. Uh, The godly bit is pretty tricky. And um, today we're going to share a little bit around that idea and give you some not tips and tricks but some principles because as a good old chalky most of what I'm going to say today is going to be about homework and things to think about. In true style I want to have a little bit of an assessment before we start and I want you not to put your hands up but I want you to think about if you can relate to any of these stories that you're kind of in the supermarket line and the trolley is full and you say very nicely that no you cannot have a kinder surprise and the three-year-old rolls on the floor and screams and wails at which time the five-year-old says they're busting to go to the toilet and you can't remember your pin. Um, It's parenting. Your um, 13-year-old child comes home and says "Um, I have to have those sneakers because everybody's got them they happen to be $300 and when you say maybe a $150 pair would do the reaction is like near unto death your 15 year old goes for a sleepover at church friends homes and uh, left with quite a smart haircut and comes home with platinum hair with just a tinge of green to make you know that added little bit of interest And then when they're older, they bring someone home that you didn't quite expect. These are the joys of parenting. So I know a bit about that, but godly parenting. What does that mean? How do we do that? First thing I think we need to remember is God is the designer. He created us, all things, he sustains all things, so he must know about all these things. And he designed us in a certain way. So we know about God because we see him and learn about him all through the scriptures. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. But to discover what godly means, like God. How do we know like God? like God is well we understand that because he had children and his son was with us and walked with us and that was Jesus so we understand God because of looking at the life of Jesus and we know what his relationship with children was like in fact when the disciples were all um, competing over who was top dog in heaven he actually took a little child and said listen You've got to be like this, not childish, but childlike with humility if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus had a very special relationship with children. Now, how does that outwork in the now, in our lives? I want you to think about a story of maybe a child that was perhaps a successful child that you know his parent must have been very successful this child uh, reads the bible very obedient child always obedient reads the bible in fact knows the bible went to sunday school went to youth group in fact 
went to young adults and served in the church. That parent might be pretty happy with that child. However, if I said that child's name was Saul and he murdered and persecuted Christians, he was very religious. So there's a little bit more to this godliness, isn't there? Because on the road to Damascus, we know that Saul met Jesus and it changed him, transformed him dramatically to the point where we pick up in scriptures that at the end of his life, he's talking to Timothy as if he was his father. And he says, Timothy, my son. And he talks with such compassion. He's the man who murdered and persecuted Christians. Now is talking as he's imprisoned towards the end of his life. He's talking and writing to this man who is, he considers his son with such passion and such thankfulness and with prayer and with joy. And he also reminds Timothy of the other people in his life, Lois and Eunice, his mother and his grandmother, of how they were part of bringing this boy to who he was, the wonderful person, Timothy. So that sets the scene for godly parenting. Mm. So what does this Paul say about parenting? And of course, the classic is in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, this is a well-used passage and I want to use it today. And I'm using it in the Amplified Version because I think it says a lot. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is, accept their guidance and discipline as his representative. For this is right, for obedience teaches wisdom and self-discipline. Honour, that is, esteem, value as precious your father and your mother, and be respectful to them. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may have a long life on earth. Well, we love that bit. Children, obey. The other bit comes next. Fathers, and I'm putting mothers, and you may not have children, but you can still be part of parenting as grandmothers, as aunties, as friends. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive nor by showing favouritism or indifference to them, but bring them up tenderly, tenderly, with loving kindness in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I don't think we could find anything much clearer. Here we see the responsibility of the child to obey, to honour, to show respect, to show esteem and to value. But we have here a set of what I've called KPIs for parenting. So all the business people in the world and in the, in the congregation and online, you know what KPIs like, key performance indicators. They're the things that indicate that you're, being, you're doing your job properly. I don't think there's a book written that's got all the rules that are going to work. We're just not designed like that. But there are some key principles and some indicators that things will work and can be improved. So parents, we're not to 
pro uh, provoke, ex exasperate, humiliate, abuse, show favouritism or difference, indifference, but bring them up. And I've put there, not bring them down. Bring them up tenderly with loving kindness, with discipline and instruction. How are we going to do that? That's a pretty tall order. And I believe that there is much we can learn. Now I am learning. And at our school, we are still learning and giving lots of um, time to the science behind behaviour and bring understanding to what we are equipped, uh, what we are expected to do. So I want to take you on a little bit of a, um, a tour about how God designed us. And I want to actually talk about the, the design manual and how it works. Some of you will know about the fact that our brain governs development. And there's bits of our brain that's very, very handy to know about. There's the front bit here. Uh, God designed for us to make, we call it the rational decision maker part, where we do things like make good decisions, we can reason, we know the time, we know and organise our lives in a good way. The back bit of our brain is the bit we call the kind of survival bit. And that's the bit that we show emotions and will protect us when we're under threat. So God designed us with this incredible brain to do different kinds of things. And this brain changes over time. And it takes a bit of time for this reasonable, rational front bit to actually grow and develop. In fact, there's telling us that until your early 20s, it's still growing and developing. Maybe that's why that it used to be 21 before you became an adult. Hmm, maybe that was smarter than 18. But anyway, we understand that we start with very much that back brain and how it develop, uh, how it controls our behaviour in perhaps more emotional and survival manners, ways. Difficulty with it, the brain doesn't always know when a threat is actually going to kill you or life-threatening and when it's just an emotional or a relational situation. So sometimes when we're younger and we're not using our front brain and it's not developed, a response to not being able to have a $300 pair, pair of sneakers might cause a lot of emotion. It's quite unreasonable, of course, because you know how much is in the bank and you know that that's not going to add up. But the child still does not know these things. And let's have a look at some of the ways this works. Have a look at this little baby. Which bit of the brain are they using? Survival. And if you have, and most of you will have had a baby or have been anywhere near one when they're hungry, it's a blood-curdling sound. It's designed to bring, <laughs> attract attention. And they are just driven from this survival. If someone does not feed me, I will die. Of course they will. That's correct. They're not using this front braid because it's not possible at this stage. The middle photograph. Just after you've been to the supermarket and you get to the car, you then put the two-year-old in the car seat. What do they do? They kick, hit, scream. Again, another near-death experience is occurring. Why is this so? 
It's reasonable. We're only 20 minutes from home. And if I don't strap you in, you could die. Don't you get that child? Don't you die that get it that I'm, I'm caring for you? No, because the front brain of that child has not worked out time. It does not know that it's only a little while. And they see that car seat, I am being strapped here in for the rest of my life. It's like the death chair. That's why. In a moment, we're going to talk about what our response ought to be. And then we've got that other photo on the end there of the child many of us have experienced or seen at school. We see this a lot where the child um, really wants to stay attached to that mum. It's time to go to ELC or, or school. And again, they do not know that when mum goes around the corner, in a few hours they're going to come back because they think they might go around the corner and completely vanish. Vump, gone. They don't know that. So these are sorts, I'm giving you this because the brain, when we're giving godly parenting, we've got to understand the development of the child changes over time and we've got to be appropriate responses to the development stage of the child. Another, um, the next big one, and this is where we get lots of questions about teenagers and growing up. Now, you've all been one. And don't kid yourself and just take a little bit of time to think back to what you were really like. Really, really, really like. So this is a beautiful and wonderful stage, a challenging stage for parents because it is the job of the brain to change. When that little brain was a child, it was growing all sorts of signals and every time it learnt something, it lays down uh, pathways where next time we do that we can learn our tables, next time we do that we, we can learn. And the brain fills through childhood with lots and lots of, of pathways. At about 12 to 13, the brain does a thing called pruning and that's how God designed it. And it cuts away the bits that it's not interested in and the things that it doesn't use to form an identity. To, that's what happened to you when you became you. And we don't all wear the same clothes and we don't all like the same things because we have pruned, the brain has pruned. Now, if that didn't happen, you'd still be making their porridge when they're 20 and uh, packing their lunch when they're 18. And if you're doing that, you're nuts. Um, you shouldn't be because this is their job. But people and young people form an identity. And many times parents will weep and say, where's my little girl gone? Well, she's changing to be who she needs to be as a woman. And when she used to love all the things that she did and she used to pack her bag, she used to clean her room and she used to love to bake with me. And family holidays, she couldn't wait for family holidays. And you say family holiday to a teenager, they go, oh my goodness, do we? Because the purpose of that God made is to leave and cleave. Teenagers need to separate from you and they need to join their tribe. They need to fit in to where they're going to be able to procreate because that's what God made them to do. So it is a developmental thing when you feel as if they probably actually hate you and yet you've driven them to footy, you fed them, you paid their school fees. What, what one syllable response, is that all I get? They need to turn away from you. I'm not saying it's good or respectful, just understanding why they need to turn towards their peer group. 
when they're with their friends, they're a different person. How amazing is that? That's God's design to leave and cleave. So development, really important. Do some homework on it and get to understand what it is. This next one is very, very important. If you can understand the balance between authority and responsibility, then you will come some way to be um, able to stand in your authority as a parent, giving responsibility to your child when they are able to carry it and pulling it back a little bit and giving it to, to them again. The purpose of understanding this is to get it in balance. All human relationships are managed by this balance between authority and responsibility. If it gets out of whack, you will find there's fracture, there's something going wrong. And you probably have all identified a child who has far too much authority. And the parent has got very little. And it just does not work. So it's very important to understand the difference. Have a think about that baby we talked about, that photo of the baby we had a little while ago. Who, how much who has authority for that child? Mum and Dad. What responsibility does that baby have? Nothing. The responsibility lies with the parent to feed, clothe, nurture, hug, comfort that child. Does that change over time? Of course it changes over time. Another way of understanding authority and responsibility, most of you who are 18 will carry one of these. This is my licence to drive. I have authority given to me by the government and I'm allowed to drive on the roads. Do I have a responsibility when I'm driving? And how do I learn that responsibility? Well, you know, doing 70 in a 60 zone, a little fine, enough to sting. Driving recklessly, this will be taken completely away because I obviously cannot um, have that authority in a responsible way. So understanding that you want your child and our children and our young people, whether whoever you are, to grow responsibly as independent, responsible adults, we have to give them the opportunity to learn that responsibility. And the only way they're going to learn it, just like I've learnt to stick to the speed limit most of the time, um, is by sometimes having some tough calls. So there need to be boundaries, there need to be rules, there need to be ways in which we know what the limits and boundaries are, and there are consequences if we don't stick to those rules. And what happens sometimes in the best of intentions, parents will rob children of the opportunity to learn that responsibility and they stay rather dependent. Now, I've got a few photos up here. Now, no hands up as to whether you relate to any of these, but these are parent types. And I'm going to say in the best of intentions and with the greatest respect, sometimes we parent in these kinds of ways that's actually diminishing the capacity of the child to grow maturely. The elephant parent says, oh, don't worry, darling, don't worry about the homework, it's all right, you had soccer tonight. I'll just tell the teacher you're a bit tired. Come on, come and, come and have another donut, you deserve it, or come and sit with me on the couch, let's watch the movie together. It's 10 o'clock, the child's got to, got to get up in the morning and go to school. You know, the lovely 
overindulgent parent, the elephant parent. Then you have the tiger parent, you know what they're like. Unfortunately, they will attack anybody who comes near their child to correct them or help them or hold them responsible and they sometimes also attack their children. But they are very protective in a very negative way and then they've got the helicopter parent. Now those of you who know what that's like, those um, at school, um, we can sometimes relate to that. Now these parents are very well intentioned but the moment they see their child actually having to take responsibility or being held to account, they swoop in and rescue the child. How is that child going to learn? We all, none of us, it's not pleasant to learn things sometimes. It sometimes requires a bit of pain. But that parent will come in and rescue. And sometimes when the, um, when the fine comes in, the first fine, I guarantee you, 19 year olds, if they haven't got a fine by the time they're 19, <laughs> they will do. Oh, don't worry, darling, I'll pay it for you. These things do not help our children grow in the way God designed them to grow with responsible and, and understanding their authority. Some more parents, the, the lawnmower kind that cut everything down in the child's way or curling. You know that sport, mainly at Olympics, we don't have it much here, but they make this path so smooth that nothing, there's not a single impediment for the child. And it, they, they come to an adult age and they have not learnt actually how to manage themselves because they've never had a chance or the bulldozer who pushes everybody out of the way and puts their child in front of everybody. Now I've been a bulldozer parent on, on occasions and I remember my first child wasn't chosen for the school choir. I could not believe she got a beautiful voice. How could this be? And I spoke to the principal about why my child, I didn't do it in quite that sort of tone, but I just did question her. Now, I have no idea what was going on, why um, behind the scenes other children were chosen. And there would be very good reasons why teachers do things and schools do things. And who cares whether she's in the choir when she's five? Quite frankly, it didn't matter. But at the time, I was deeply. Now, I've had five kids and a million grandchildren. By the time I got to number five, I'd say, choir? How's spell choir? I don't know. Doesn't matter. He'll, he'll live. He'll get there. It doesn't matter. So, uh, look at the dolphin. Who doesn't like a good dolphin? Well, they teach us a little bit about being a good parent because dolphins are authoritative. They nurture and they, they, by nature and they nurture their young ones but they do so in a firm way but a flexible way. So taking some thoughts about that, they do have rules and expectations but they also are creative and have fun with their young and they help them to grow to be independent, they're collaborative and they guide and model. So here are some ideas for you to be able to think, hmm, I can see myself in some of those, but let's, let's try being a dolphin. The next thing I want to talk about, I'll skip that one, I want to talk about a few ways of being with your children as we wrap up. And I want you to think about the word posture. The posture is the way we carry ourselves in the world. It's our body language. It's our tone of voice. It's our eye contact. It's the time we take to be present with people. And I think um, Timothy, 
this scripture to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 following on what Paul was writing is amazing for God did not give us the spirit of timidity or anxiety or fear but he has given us a spirit of power of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline abilities that result in a calm well-balanced mind and self-control what you are to your child is really important. If we are going to be godly parents, then allow God's spirit to show through rather than, for example, dumping all of our anxiety. That child cannot cope with the emotional load that you can because your brain is developed. It's not their problem that you are angry or upset or whatever else. When they fall over, my trick is, is there any blood? If not, we move on. But when we go, oh, my darling, you poor little thing, are you okay? <laughs> the child's saying, oh, is that, oh, okay. Oh, yes, mummy, I'm sorry. <laughs> so you are perpetuating anxiety, which doesn't need to happen. Of course you are to be tender to be loving kind, do things in loving kindness, but not expect a child to be an adult and have an adult response because they are different brains. They are different entirely. They are looking to your posture in the world to work out how they are to be. And if that scripture is true, then I think it's a really good one to take off. Another little thing I like to do is head things off in the past. Consider that development stage. Predict what is likely to happen, not just because of the age of the child, because of the nature of the child. There are some developmental delays. Take the opportunity to make sure that you investigate those and allow um, people to give advice. But great thing for a young child, use lots of distraction. And for an older child, I like to use the term blend and redirect. Acknowledge their identity, that they have got the weirdest haircut you've ever seen. But, oh, you, wow, you don't have to lie about it, but acknowledge. Um, I love those shoes, they're fantastic. Where'd you get them? They're Doc Martens. Really not. Are they comfortable? Yeah. Uh, by the way, could you just pop your hair up? Or whatever that you need to do. Blending, identifying, respecting them. This is the stage they're at. They're doing exactly what God's want them to do. Yes, we need to show respect, but we also need to have that give and take and reciprocity to make sure we respect them in their development stage. Discipline. I want to say how unfortunate the church has interpreted this over the centuries and great damage has been done by not reading Ephesians 6 properly. Maybe they didn't have an amplified Bible back there about not abusing children and not hurting them but that has happened in the name of Christianity and thankfully things are being done about that. What does discipline mean? Many times, particularly Christians will jump to punishment there are consequences, they should be natural consequences. Yes, there are boundaries, but discipline is really more to do with the routines that we establish and the patterns of behaviour, like an athlete learning to shoot an arrow or ride a horse or swim. They're disciplined. They, because they've learnt to do something well by watching or being coached and they're given opportunity to repeat it, to learn the discipline of life. If we haven't done that work first, 
then we are in breach. So we've got to spend time helping our children by giving them the routines of life that will help them sleep, good food, school, getting up, expecting them to fulfil the disciplines that are put there, wearing the uniform correctly. I've got to say that the kids in the room who go to my school wouldn't imagine I was alive if I didn't talk about that. It's not about whether God matters whether you've got your tie on or not. He doesn't care less. It's that you know how to live life respectfully. That's why we do that. So, instruction. Take time to teach your children. Oh, godly parenting. I just wanted to put that one in. Um, Godly parenting means that you do take intentional, give attention to setting those boundaries setting those structures in place, giving children, I nearly said students then, uh, (laughs) talking to teachers, I'm talking to parents, a sense of predictability and stability. The consequence should be matching their stage of development, proportionate, and the adults in the world. And we we know that as long as there is one, at least one, um, functional and stable and trustworthy adult in, a lo- in the life of a child, they can, fi- they can grow well. Um, many of us have had to be sometimes single parents or um, doing things on our own. But if you can work together with the people who are around you, your grandparents, the people at school, the teachers, adults working together will help children with that stability. Next one there is the instruction. As Paul said, bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. Teach. Spend time. Not just about God's word, and I think that's really important, but teach children to understand the world around them. God made this incredible world. Read with them. Read widely. Not just in a narrow area of interest, but read widely. Approach things with curiosity rather than you have to. Say, what do you think about? I wonder if... Use curiosity as an an amazing tool to get children to be able to talk to you because nobody, none of us like being things being rammed down our throat. You don't like it. Now, sometimes we have to be firm really clearly if there is danger, if there is um, danger to someone else or the child. We have to be very firm and so forth, but try and use curiosity and respect how they can be respectfully critical not just taking everything they hear hear and see at face value teach them how to think critically and respectfully teach them God's word very very important that those things are laid down while the brain is young and I want to take a moment please to talk to you and I know all of you feel this way but who when we are so excited and thrilled with the use of social media it's got lots of benefits for us but the algorithms behind it and the way um, some of these platforms are set up are designed to entice teenagers particularly to take their attention and I would be questioning whose values you're allowing um, to come into your children's home and whose whose voice is most important if your teenager is taking their devices to bed 
No, if I, my children are grown up, but if I had my time again and we were in the age where we've got mobile phones and everybody's got a device, I'd have a basket on the kitchen table where it all goes before bedtime and I'd be taking it to bed with me. But there's a little hint for you, work on it. But also you as a parent, babies need to see your face. Babies need to see your face. They don't want to see your face looking at a screen all the time. They're learning so much by seeing your face. Authentic faith is the last one. Authentic. Allow that love of Jesus in you to shine through. Model. Read God's word. Show young people and your children. Talk with them regularly walk with them and take the time to express your faith in a very practical and authentic way because they're watching everything you do and say of course as Paul has reminded us we're to do all of this tenderly and with loving kindness that is how God sees you he loves you he has compassion on you you make just as many mistakes as your kids do to you. But he still is there to love you and forgive you. Show tenderness to your children as God sees you and as you see them. So in summary, when it all seems impossible was the heading, the subheading of this, godly parenting, what to think about, what to consider when it all seems impossible. Remember, it is God's amazing design. Consider the development that he has designed that is going on in your child. Put your sternum up and take the authority that you have been given as a parent to guide your children and teach them how to be responsible by giving them lots of responsibility so they can practice. Don't rob them of that opportunity to learn. Take courage to Timothy. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound and well-balanced mind. That is God's spirit. Allow him to work in you and walk that faith authentically. Some of you here today may be wondering if um, you would like to have a road to Damascus experience as Paul did, as Saul did, and became Paul. Maybe you're feeling like Saul and you want to be a Paul. If that is you, or maybe you've been a Christian and you would like to just ask God to refresh that within you. And I want to take the opportunity today, whether you're at home or on the beach or wherever you're watching or here today, to simply say, ask God. He's a loving, tender, caring God. Just speak to him in your heart. Give him opportunity to speak to you and reach out to him. Because these are things he's designed us for eternity, not just for this world, but to live forever. And that is a wonderful thing to know that peace and to be able to know his spirit is alive in us to do all the parenting he's called us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are such a kind and loving God. I thank you for the way you designed us and made us. I thank you for every child that you have given us responsibility for, whether directly or indirectly. 
Thank you for the beautiful and wonderful way you've designed us, God. Have given us a brain that works so well. You've given us your spirit that brings alive everything you've made. And I pray today for those people in the room who are parents particularly, that you strengthen them, give them courage and help them take time to learn. Father, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them today in a very special way. For those who just need that refreshing, I pray that you refresh them by your spirit. So we commit our lovely community to you and all the children in it. In the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.